Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. It's your girl, Sonia McQueen, with your mind, your body, your choice. So, the last couple of days I've been told three things about my podcast. Number one, my voice is way too sexy and it kind of turns people on. (laughs) Number two, my voice is way too soothing and it makes you want to go to sleep. And number three, the podcast are a tremendous help to some people. Please keep it going. So, in response to number one, I, I think that's a compliment. So thank you. Number two, shut up and stay awake and listen. And number three, thank you so much. Because as I was telling a friend the other day, these podcasts are way more um eye-opening, therapeutic, um, all that for me than I could have ever imagined. That wasn't my reason for starting these podcasts, but they're helping me. So I pray if they're helping me, they're helping at least one other person. So I did get a request to speak about um, how childhood trauma or things that happen in your childhood uh, could ultimately end your life. Now, I never spoke about that, but I have spoke about how things that happen in your childhood, how they shape your adulthood, whether you know it or not, and there are things that you do, the way you act, the way you react, that stems from when you were a child, whether you correlated together or not. A, a lot of the time, more times than not, it all stems from your childhood and the way you were raised or treated. Um, And also I did speak about friendships, how even friendships when you're younger, they mold you for adult friendships. I know people as adults that gossip more, start more problems, roll their eyes, swing their neck more than any child, but they were like that as a child. And they have their reasons for acting like that. I just try to really stay clear of those kind of people. And I even spoke about people who have, who put all their issues and problems on Facebook, but they do it because a lot of them need that attention and that reassurance. I was not knocking anybody. If you do that, I promise I wasn't knocking you at all. It's not my thing. I'm the total opposite. I become a complete recluse when I'm going through things. I don't want to be bothered. I don't want people calling me, checking on me, knocking on my door, sending me messages, and I definitely am not going to post whatever I'm going through, mentally, physically, emotionally, on Facebook. There's no place for it there for me because I don't need that or or look forward to or, or want that kind of attention. And I really don't want people in my business. I've always been like that, though. But to go back to what I was asked to speak about today, I want to give you a little background. So I have a friend whose name I'm not going to (laughs) say, but this friend has had so much trauma in her life the last few months. Sister passed away. A dog passed away. The second dog passed away. Lost both her birds. Somebody else in the family passed away. Her grandson committed suicide. And while she was at her grandson's funeral, she found out her aunt passed away. They haven't even buried that aunt. 
and found out another aunt passed away. So it's just a lot. Um, and then in the midst of me sending a plant for her grandson's funeral, one of my closest and dearest friends, who I will say his name, Russell, he reached out to me and I reached back out the next day just to find out his stepson committed suicide. So we were talking today about my friend, his ex-wife, who was murdered, and um, just how I took that and the reason I took it so hardly, uh, aggressively, it, it hurt me to my core, like I said last week, was because of the love they showed out on me. That kind of love I had never had in my life. I met Russell when I was 17, and yes, I was on my own, and I was about to bust the guy's head with a crowbar, no joke, and some stranger picked me up. I weighed all of 108 pounds, picked me up, and carried me away, and they were like, you you weigh too, at the time, yeah, I was 17. He didn't know I was 17, but you're way too fine to be going to prison, is what he said. And I don't remember saying anything, but I was still trying to get at that dude. And I had already got a couple of good hits in. But by then I had popped my trunk and got my crowbar. And the guy turned out to be the guy Russell. And from that day on, we became friends. And his wife did not live. We were stationed in Colorado at the time where he was. Um, and my dad was at Fort Carson. And um, his wife came. I, don't, I think she was in North Carolina, and I, I told you guys the story about how I first met her. First meeting was not good. I called her the B word, walked out of their house because I thought she was nasty and mean. She came over that night with beer, and we became best friends. So uh, they were both a little older than me, not too much, but they were both a little older than me. But the love that they shared on me um, was everything to me. I wasn't used to it. And I sponged it up. I sponged it up. It was just nice to be part of a family. So when she passed away and he lived way in Germany, I was broken and I really never seen friendships the same again. And the couple of times I did open my heart and door to friendships that deep, I was hurt. So I shut that door and I do have friends and I have people I love and people who support me and love me. I just never had that kind of friendship where they have keys to your house and you have keys to theirs. And you can disappear if I wanted to, it never happened, but I could just disappear for a week and not even have to say anything about my daughter being there. And they could disappear for a week and not have to say anything about their kids being there. And those kids were my kids and my kid was their kid. And I would get up in the morning and do their daughter's hair to get them ready for school. Mimi and Shaquela, and Joanne would take my daughter like she was her, so it was that kind of love. So we were talking about the suicides today and how prevalent it is and what's going on with our children these days to make it to where they don't even want to talk to you anymore. They go straight from being sad to depressed to wanting to die, and once again, you guys, don't take anything I say personally because I've been there. Whether you know it or not, I've been there. And I think I've said that in one of my podcasts. I've been in a place where I just wanted to 
be gone from here. But my assessment of suicide is the most selfish thing anybody could do. It's so selfish. You got people who love you and you just disappear and they automatically, first thing they wonder is what did I do? What did I do so bad that, that, that John, Jill, Jack, Paula didn't want to be here anymore and they killed themselves? That burden is so heavy. It's so heavy. I'm telling you firsthand, that burden is so heavy. Some parents never, ever recover from it. Some friends never recover from it. Your sisters, your brothers, your cousins, your aunties, your uncle. The burden a suicidal person leaves when they actually commit the act is too much for a lot of people to bear. I'm telling you, if you know somebody who's suicidal or you yourself is suicidal for just a moment, and I do know it's about you and what you're going through, but just for a second, really consider the people who love you and what it's going to do to them now. If you're in a place where you feel like nobody loves you, sometimes you gotta build your own village. I have mine. I have my own village. Thank goodness people in my family love me too, but I have a village of people who were not, I wasn't born into their families. They weren't born into mine. I met them somewhere along the path of life and they became my references as I've always called people who I can lean on and my friends in my village. I haven't always been open to a village. So if you know a young person, even an older person, as you see, um, Miss Judd killed herself and she was, I believe, in her 70s. So suicidal thoughts aren't age restricted. If you know somebody and they just always seem sad and down and, and they just don't seem to have any light at the end of their tunnel, become their village, become their their person, check on them, let them know you care about them, let them know you love them, just bring them some smiles and satisfaction, whatever you do, don't constantly ask them what's wrong, whatever you do, don't constantly tell them how sad they seem and look, and, and just bring them some joy and satisfaction, bring it to them, bring it to them, doesn't always work, but you're going to try your best, because once again, Suicide is so selfish that that person who left doesn't understand the pain and the ramifications that they leave behind with the people who they left behind. Can you imagine you have a child that's so sad and so depressed and you know nothing but how to love them? You don't understand why they're so sad. You don't understand and you try to talk to them. They don't want to really talk to you and they tell you they'll be okay. They're just going through something and you come home one day and they're hanging from the ceiling. That happened to somebody I know. She came home and her son was hanging. Not only did you commit suicide, but you did it in your home for your mom to find you. 
to this day she's not the same as a matter of fact I believe she was suicidal for a while the pain that suicide brings you just can't describe it you can't you can't describe it so I urge you I, I employ you to please please if you ever consider suicide consider love first consider the love that people have for you consider the love that people could have for you if you just stick around okay your mother used to beat you and tell you how worthless you are. Your dad was an alcoholic and he'd come home and didn't pay you any mind and beat on your mom and your siblings, you know, they're all younger than you and they were all just scared and, and maybe the system took you all away. Now you're with foster people who don't treat you right. I promise you there's light at the end of that tunnel. <laughs> I promise you there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know why? Because you're still God's child. And you can write your own story at the end. You can reinvent your life into positivity. You become that positive vessel. I told you guys, I, I didn't go through any of that as a child, but I did lack love. I lacked affection. I lacked people who were there for me and, and raised me to be a, a great citizen in this world. I, I lacked all that, but I realized I lacked it. And when I had my children, I decided they were not gonna lack it. They were not, and I was gonna be the best parent I could be. A strong parent, because they still got in trouble. I wasn't their friend. When it was punishment time, there was punishment time. You're gonna do your homework. You're gonna do the best you can while you're here. And you are my priority. Not Tom, Dick, and Harry. You are my priority. I'm gonna date, but you are my priority. And nobody comes before you because I wasn't married anymore. So that was important to me though, to give my kids what I lack. And once again, everybody does not have that ability they know how much they hated their childhood, but when they have children, they resort back to what they know, beating, yelling, cursing, throwing stuff, breaking stuff, calling names. They feel guilty later, but then they do it again and again and again. So if that's you and you have a child, stop it. It might not be easy to stop it because maybe that's what you went through all your life, so seek help. I tell you all the time, nothing's wrong with therapy. As a matter of fact, today I told my auntie, every adult should get a mental health evaluation. Every adult. Because we've all been through some things. I don't care how good you are, how perfect you think you are in your life. We've all been through some things, all of us. We all need a mental health evaluation to see where we are mentally. And the evaluators need a mental health evaluation. And their evalu evaluators need a mental health evaluation. All adults need a mental health evaluation. And if your child is going through something, never be embarrassed to get them some therapy. Never be embarrassed. It might be the difference between saving your child and losing them. If your spouse is going through something, 
Never be afraid to step in, even if they say, you know what, if you do this, I'm going to divorce you. Get that divorce then. But save their life. Do whatever you have to do. If your sibling, if your parent, if your auntie, if your uncle, if your cousin, I don't care who it is, you see them going through some things, you make the proper phone calls for them. When I work for the Department of Health, I have a book still that I started there. And um, if you never heard me say before, I worked with people who had um, STDs and HIV and AIDS and a lot of people who were on um, medication it does something to them mentally and they go through depression a lot of them and I used to hear from the patients all the time that once they started their um, medication they would go through bouts of depression so as they took the antiretrovirals, which are the HIV medications, it would send them into depression. I even had one employee who would go through these bouts of, he would be the happiest person, he would make us laugh and so jovial to lying on you and trying to get you fired and thinking and saying you're threatening him and He's fearful for his life. He was just a roller coaster. And we actually made him go through EAP and get therapy. Um, it was mandated that he had a minimum of six sessions. And even the therapist was saying to him, it was his antiretrovirals. Um, and then on the other hand, we had patients who would get syphilis. And this might be too much for some people, but if it goes untreated, it's neurosyphilis and it gets in your brain and people die from that, from syphilis. But some of them who live, you know, they, they go through bouts of depression and I would see firsthand from the patients, from that point of view, what depression looked like. And so many people I work with didn't understand they didn't understand they would get mad and this person's moody and what's wrong with this person because a lot of their co-workers had HIV um, you know you want to work in the field and and help people go through what you're going through and so even though I had no HIV you know I'm, I'm, I'm not an HIV positive person and I've never had a STD I sympathized I empathized because I seen it for what it was worth and I took the time to read up on it. I mean, I was the director, so I wanted my team to be as healthy mentally as they could be. But there was nothing at the end I could do for some of them because it was their roller coaster. But I always let them know that I was there for them and that I cared about them. And when I seen them on their lows, even one of them going out of his way to try to get me fired, um, going to HR, telling all kinds of untruths on me. And at first they didn't know what to think about it because they were like, okay, this is Sonia, that everybody loves Sonia. But then when they seen for themselves some of the things that were being said, they knew were absolutely not true. At first they wanted to fire this person 
And I was like, no, you know, this is what I believe and this is what I read up on. And I was able to save his job for then. He ended up getting fired later, but that's because he refused after the first therapy session to go back. I go back to saying, I didn't judge it. I didn't even get too upset when he was telling all these untruths on me because I knew they were lies and eventually HR knew they were lies. But my heart was broken for him because what kind of life is that to live on such a roller coaster? And I just empathized and I just ask you all, if you know somebody who goes through those kind of roller coasters, that's not normal. I don't even mean the lying and the, the backstabbing, any of that. I just mean you're with them and they're happy and then all of a sudden they're sad. Or every time you see them, they're sad. Or every time you talk to them, nothing's going right in their life. Do you know anybody like that? Every time you talk to them, it's a sad story. I used to get, to, <laughs> this is the truth. Before I started working for the Department of Health, I used to get irritated when I talked to people and all they did was complain. I didn't ask you how you were doing because if I ask you how you're doing, I, I really care. And you start doing nothing but telling me bad stuff, I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna listen. But if I don't ask you and I just call, or you call me, that's even worse. You call me and I'm talking and everything I say, you understand, now you wanna tell me a story and it's a negative story. That's already irritating to me that everything I wanna to say to somebody, they've been there, done that, and they got a story for everything and they overtake all the conversation, especially if I start the conversation, but I digress. If you know somebody like that, try to help them figure it out. You don't have to say, boy, you're depressed. You need some help. Not like that. But listen and say, hey, can I come talk to you? Or, you know, have you talked to anybody else about this? This is serious. You know, nothing's wrong. I, I, I might be able to help you find somebody. You, you really should talk to somebody about this. One of the worst things I ever see happen, and I see it happen, and I know it happens, is for somebody to jump on your bandwagon. I call Lisa and tell Lisa, Lisa, I just don't know what to do. I'm so sad. My husband's cheating on me. He's doing this. Girl, that's a sorry man. Yeah, you need to leave his sorry butt. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, I hear you. Hang up. Next time I talk to Lisa, Lisa, I don't know. These people on my job, they are tripping. They're talking to me crazy. I'm scared for my job. F those people, girl. Leave that job. They ain't nothing anyway. They're nothing. They're this. That's a bandwagon jumper in a negative way. You don't need bandwagon jumpers. I've, I've never liked bandwagon jumpers. And I told you guys on another session, if I ever, if you ever ask me for my opinion about something and I think you're wrong, I'm going to tell you that. And if you get upset, don't ask me anymore. Don't ask me. Because apparently you don't want my honest opinion. You want me to agree with whatever you're saying. So just talk and I'll listen. But I do not like bandwagon jumpers. If somebody trusts you enough to call you and run something by you, try to look at a positive out for them. Unless they call you and say, my husband is beating my tail. My wife stabbed me last night. 
any of that stuff where you know they're in harm's way. If they just say, you know, I don't, I don't know, we're not agreeing, we're not getting along, we're not communicating. Have y'all tried counseling? You know, you're such a good person and, and Jimmy, he's such a good person. You know, maybe you guys, you guys were doing so well. What's going on? You try to make it positive because if you show people light, a lot of times they'll follow it. But if you keep that damp cloud over their head and it's just drizzling on them and you keep it there, next thing you know it's raining on them and you keep holding their hand through their pity parties and, and jumping in there with them, now it's thundering and lightning. When all you had to do from the beginning is say, hey, I love you, I'm here for you. Let's, let's get some help. Let's talk about this. Even if you think it's something you can handle, let's talk about it. Hey, why don't you call me again next week? Let's talk about this. You know, you wanna, you wanna talk about, just let's talk about life. It doesn't even have to be about this. Let's just talk, let's keep each other lifted. Let's keep loving on each other. Let's make a village. You know, I got, I got your kids, you got my kids. Let's have a couple's night. Me and my dude, you and your wife. Let's love on each other. Please, you guys, don't jump on negative bandwagons. When you see children hurting, be that village for them. I, I speak on villages a lot because I'm praying that they come back one day. Now everybody just wants to mind their business. You know why? Parents are crazy as hell. You talking to somebody's kid, you see the kid doing wrong, you tell that kid, hey, don't do that. You're really looking out for that kid so that kid don't go to jail or get shot. Get jumped, get hurt. Don't do that, don't do that. They go home and tell their parents a totally different story and you ain't minding your business. Now the parent knocking on your door, wanting to knuckle up. All because you were looking out for their child. I know that this is a crazy world. My husband tells me all the time, mind your business. I'ma mind my business, you mind your business. You know, I'm, I'm that person when I see somebody in line at Walmart cussing their kid out. I'm like, yo, 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 what's wrong with you? That's me. My husband's like, mind your business. Sorry, parent, mind your business. That sorry parent, if they can do that out in public in front of all these people standing in a Walmart line, imagine what that child goes through when they home. And maybe that parent needs some help. Maybe they don't know any other way. Maybe they just need somebody to say, hey, 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 you need help with that child, you know? I mean, I probably wouldn't go that far because they might say yeah and leave the child and walk out and now I'm stuck. But I can't just sit by and watch somebody curse a two-year-old. This, this, this happened maybe last August. I'm in um, Walmart, of course, because this doesn't happen in Target, but there was this baby still in pampers, but able to walk. I'm going to say she was probably two. What do two-year-olds do if they're not in a stroller or whatever? Sometimes even when they're in a stroller or in a, a cart or something, she was grabbing at the candy. And excuse everything I'm going to say, but that mother told her, put that fucking candy down, you little bitch. I think we all turned around. Everybody in the line was shocked. 
and she was yelling it. And she grabbed the child really hard by her arm. And I was working, nope, it was longer than last year because I worked for the Department of Health, so it had to be at least two and a half years ago. And she grabbed the little, and the little girl crying, she telling her, shut the fuck up. I stepped out of line, I said, yo, what's wrong with you? That's a baby, that's what babies do. She looked at me and now, one thing about me is I honestly have no fear. I don't care who you are, man, woman, group. I don't have fear in those certain situations. So, you know, she looked at me like she wanted to go off on me. And she didn't. She looked at me for a second. I looked at her and I said, are you good? You need some help? But I'm sure my face was looking like, I dare you. <laughs> but in the end, after calling the little baby a B word, using the F word a couple of times, she just got out of line. She grabbed the baby, picked her up. She was holding her like a mom would and walked out. Now, everything in me wanted to walk out behind her. Everything in me wanted to walk out behind her and just give her my number and tell her, if you ever get to that place again, call me. You know, I know you don't know me. I'm, I'm good people. This is my work address, my work phone number. This is what I do for a living. Call me. I don't mind helping you. Because God only knows what she was going through to talk to a baby like that. But I didn't follow her. And I promise you, I think of that situation quite often. Because I could have probably done little more than say, are you good? It's a baby. And my husband would have put his hand up my mouth and told me to mind my business because he would have known I was going to say something to the lady. And he's like, this is Miami. People here, they don't take kindly to help. Next thing you know, you come outside and somebody's shooting you up. Well, I don't want to say that's a risk I have to take, but I think babies are worth me stepping outside of my comfort zone and asking a mom or a dad, are you good? Do you need help? I don't care if I don't know them. Hey, this is my number. This is my name. This is what I do. I don't mind if you need a moment. Because the last thing I want to see is another child on TV that has been beaten to death, starved to death, isolated, put in a cage. Because if they survive it, the cage, the isolation, they grow up to be those suicidal children. Those children that hurt other children. Those children that hurt animals. Those children that hate life. Not all of them, but enough of them for us to want to care. I implore you. If you see anybody who needs help, just be that light. If you need help, accept the light. But whatever you do, don't take yourself away from here because you're gonna leave somebody heartbroken and wondering, what could I have done? If not a family member, a friend, if not a friend, a church member, if not a church member, a neighbor, if not a neighbor, the last person you smiled at or interacted with that knows your name. Somebody's going to miss you. And you're worth it. 
You're worth sticking around. I don't want to hear another friend, another associate, see on the news another child losing their life to suicide. I don't want to go to another store and see a parent lose it on a baby. I don't want a nation that's hurting so much that they don't want to be here anymore when all they had to do was get somebody to say you're worth being here. You're worth knowing. I'll be your friend. Let's talk. Let's communicate. Let's rub elbows. Let's go out to lunch. You have to watch your kids for two hours while you sleep. You're not getting any sleep. You want me to come over and, and, and bring you guys groceries because you don't qualify for food stamps but you don't make enough to buy food? Is life beating you down? Let me take that bat from life and link my arm in yours and, and kumbaya. Sometimes all it takes is a smile and a I care. It's that simple, you guys. Now this is for my friend who called me today and said, speak about what's going on with our youth. A lot of times, Russell, what's going on with our youth is our adults. And shame on those parents. I gotta say this because I've heard it so many times. Shame on you parents who let your kids' room be their room. You don't go in there because it's none of your business or they told you to stay out. I'll be damned. The whole house is mine because I pay for it. Now, I raised my kids. I never was one of those parents that said, this is my house. I pay the bills. I say, this is our house. But because I pay the bills, I have all access to everything. Every once in a while, I just do a phone check. Did the same thing at work. Everybody, give me your phones. Give me your phones. And I'm just going to scroll and look, make sure nobody is talking to some pedophile because I had girls. You know, you're not on social media saying things you shouldn't say in a, a, a locked account that I have no access to that I don't know you have. I just want to make sure my kids were good. And I'm going to be honest, only one time ever did I see anything that broke my heart. And I do mean ever. And that's because my child was mad at me and she called me a couple of names. I'll never forget that time. So, but that was a kid being a kid. So never anything else, but they know I was one of those parents that was gonna check, I was gonna look, and I cared enough to pay attention. Parents, don't ever tell anybody your kid's room is your room. The, the Columbine shooting, the parents said, oh, well, we never went to go see what they were doing out there. Now that was their space. I was watching the episode of Killer Kids. The mom was saying, I never looked in his room to see what he was doing. He was in there building bombs. You don't know your child's in there building, building bombs? And then just recently, I believe it was the New York um, killing spree. The mom said, oh yeah, I seen his note. I think it was that one. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I digress. It was something, one of these uh, 18 mass killings that we've had the last month. But the mother said, yeah, I seen the note where he said, 
kill this, 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 and I asked him about it, but he said it was a joke, so I left it alone. I didn't think anything else about it. Nobody writes down how they're going to kill people, what they need to do it, and it's a joke. I don't care if you have to have your own child, your own sibling, your own whatever Baker acted. Do what you got to do. But love. Always come from a place of love. I know this episode was a little sad. I didn't do any laughing. I didn't say anything funny, really, but this isn't a laughing matter. It's serious. It's serious. And um, I'm going to end with, if you follow any young people on Facebook and everything they say is mean, nasty, hurtful, check on them. Check on them. Because these young people use social media as their platform. So I kind of like that. I can go and look and see what somebody's going through by reading their messages and when I see they're all sad or they're always complaining, they're always mad or something, I know that's somebody I need to inbox and check on. They use social media as a personal friend. And I'm gonna tell you something, everybody on social media that is on your friends list isn't your friend. Some people love to see you hurt Love to see you hurt. I don't care what age you are. I know 70-year-olds on Facebook going through problems, 60-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 20-something-year-olds going through something. So the age doesn't matter. All right, you guys, I always say, if you don't have anybody else to lean on, Sonia.McQueen, that's Sonia with a Y, S-O-N-Y-A dot McQueen at ledbymotivation.com. You could always send me a message. I read them, I reply. I read them and I reply. And I have some wonderful prayer warriors. I could always notify and talk to and get them to reach out to you if necessary. I know some wonderful, loving, caring people. I use them myself. Like I said, none of us. None of us are more than two eye blinks away from insanity, sadness, depression, tears. You ever drive and you just burst out crying and you're not sure why, but it's not from happiness? It's depression. I've been there. I've done it. Didn't know why I was crying. I hate to cry. If anybody knows any, I hate to cry. I do not like for anybody to ever see me cry, and I don't know why I'm like that. Even when I'm watching a real sad movie, I don't want nobody to know if I'm crying. So I might, you know, play it off some kind of way. That's the craziest thing I've said today, but it's the truth. I do not like for anybody to ever see me cry. So, everybody, I hope this podcast comes out clear. Last week, my dryer was going. I didn't realize picked up the whole time the dryer was going I sit in my kitchen when I do this is a huge kitchen I have a table that I sit at you can hear traffic outside sometimes we um, have this retainer wall but on the other side of the wall is traffic then every once in a while somebody will turn on the living room TV I apologize for all that but I hope you still are able to pay attention to my heart 
because my heart is real. And um, I love you guys, and I hope everybody's having a beautiful week. Pray for your friends, pray for your family, pray for your coworkers, pray for your neighbors, pray for every person you drive by, walk by, speak to, and their families. Can't ever have enough prayer. Can't ever have enough prayer. And if you don't believe in prayer, say something hopeful for them, something positive. And if you don't believe in hope or positivity, my email address is sonya.mcqueen at ledbymotivation.com because you might be one of those people that are either depressed or borderline depressed. And I want to be here for you. All right. Until next time.